When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Monday, December 28th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 388, featuring a longtime voice covering the Celtics. Of course, you are familiar with his work and, of course, one of the newest members of the CLNS family as well, Ashrod Blakely. The show is powered by betonline.ag. Make sure to use that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everyone? Welcome in another new edition of Celtics Beats. Great to have you with uh, all of us here. I am Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, our producer, and of course, uh, uh, a voice on this program, as he often is week to week. And Asherod Blakely, someone that we have not uh, had on this show in, in a little while, since last season anyway. It hasn't yeah. been a long, long time, but... Uh, of course, very familiar with his work covering the Celtics over the last several years and want to welcome him on this show and across many others, I'm sure, to the CLNS family as uh, host of or co-host, I should be fair, to the A-List podcast, which you can certainly check out clips from and entire shows from on the CLNS Media Network YouTube page, among other places. Sharon, how are you, buddy? Happy holidays. Same to you, my friend. Glad to see you. Glad to see uh, us Syracuse guys finally getting a chance to work together. Right? I know. It's All like... three of us. This is great. <laughs> the trilogy has been formed. Yes. Well, there's, there's like, there's not like there's a lack of media people from, you know, Newhouse at all anywhere. You know, there's a couple like of us around here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, some may say there's too much Syracuse on this show. There's no yeah. such thing, Adam. You know that. <laughs> I, I, you know I, that. I would invite those people to just listen to something else. That's all. <laughs> I, They'll find us gotta, there too. Yeah, I just gotta be honest with you though. This this has been like the most lackluster basketball season to start in a, in a long time. I I you know look, I wasn't. We had good teams when I was there. I'll just say that we you know they were ranked number one twice. Uh, you know, the it was the good old days, quote unquote, of Johnny Flynn, Paul Hare, uh, you know Harris, uh, Diefendorf. Um, I didn't I didn't go all the way back to Pro Washington, but I had some good teams. I was I was lucky. That I had good teams there because now I don't, I don't even recognize anymore. I'll throw a hot take at both of you real quick. What's that? Is it time for is it time for Bayheim to be done? No, sacrilegious so? words. Sacrilegious <laughs> words you just spoke there, my friend. Never, just... ever, ever, ever will Bayheim leave. Now, so here, here's my belief on Jim Bayheim, which has nothing to do with the Celtics show. So we'll get to that stuff in a second. But <laughs> you know, I I am of strongly of the mind that Bayheim was he was gone. He was preparing for his exit until he got docked all those wins. And then he said, well, Bingo. coming right back and I'm sticking around because I'm getting each and every one of them back. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that was part of it. I also think part of it was when he had that suspension uh, yeah. and Mike Hopkins took over. They sucked bad, <laughs> like really bad. And, I, and it, for Bayheim, it's like, wait a minute. Am I ready to hand a raise off to a guy I like but can't win? Little did we know that Hopkins' strength obviously was recruiting and not necessarily wins and losses, but he's doing a great job in, in Washington. Yeah. But listen, Bay, Bayheim, he leaves whenever the hell he wants to leave. Uh, I, I, could, I, I have no feelings one way or the other. Because to me, he's earned a right to leave on whatever terms he feels he wants to leave. Uh, well, provided he's his kid now anyway. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, right. That's hard to walk away from that. when you get, And your kid is actually a decent player yeah. if there were better players ahead of him. His kid is like a nice sixth or seventh man, but they got him playing like starter minutes at Syracuse. Uh, but that's another story um, for another day. We'll have our alumni meeting after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be great. We'll get Dan Roach. We'll get so many others. We'll just all sit around and <laughs> talk Syracuse hoops. Let's talk a little Celtics because speaking of suck, Jason Tatum's shot selection on that three-point attempt to win that game last time out against the Pacers in India. I'm sorry. It was not a this, – this is perfect, actually. It's, it's a perfect little – because I, like the two of you, I'm sure, pretty much anyone who tweets about the Celtics and is local to Boston is viewed as a homer, a green teamer, above, you know, just – the, the green room glasses and, and uh, like they can do no wrong. And in Danny and Brad, we trust. And, and, and a lot of the time that is true. I'm not hiding from that fact, but there are times to call them out. And Jason Tatum's shot selection, you know, in the wake of, of a rather miraculous bank three to win their only game. I mean, they're, they're a wild, crazy, successful shot over the bucks there away from being zero and three much as they are a, a miracle away from being two and one or a, a good defensive, you know, presence away from being two and one, depending on which way you want to look at that. But as far as Tatum's, I just, for me, it's not like Tatum had a bad game. It's not like Tatum's a bad player. It's not like he's not going to be a superstar. So let's all look at this within the confines of what it was, which is one singular moment, one shot. They didn't lose the game because of that shot. They just simply didn't win it. You know, you don't lose the game based on one play. You can win it. They didn't. He had eight seconds left on the clock. And he just, it, I was having flashbacks to sitting up in the three hundreds and watching ISO Paul Pierce, you know, with all right, this it's me, it's you, we've got plenty of time, I'm just going to run down the clock, and I'm going to take it. At least when Paul did that, he took a mid-range shot, which would have made right. sense when you're down by one. You don't shoot it from 28 feet away. So it kind of pissed me off. Well, it, it should. Uh, it, it was a shot that, frankly, I, I just think Tatum is too good a player to settle like that. I think he took the, the, the power that he has as a player from himself. You're 6'8", six, 6'9", six, with a 7 wing seven-foot wingspan and some chains. You're guarded by a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who's a good player, but you've got several inches over him. So if you just take a couple of dribbles towards the basket and pull up, he's not going to block your shot. If anything, he's probably going to follow you on your elbow, which to me, that's another thing that for Tatum, he's done a great job this year. And, and, and I know people just really just dump on him about this, but he's actually among the league leaders and drives to the basket. But there's a problem. He's getting to the basket and he's not doing enough theatrics once he gets there to draw the attention of the rest, mm-hmm. to get to the free throw line. And, after you get a little contact and you do one of these, sorry, they're not going for the human emoji. Look, it just doesn't work. <laughs> He's got to do better at getting that physical contact that gets him to the line the way the James Harden, the way the LeBron James, the way the elite players in the NBA do. Because when you, even though he ranks among like the top eight guys 
and drives to the basket. He's like 14 for 15 in terms of free throw attempts per game. And that's just too low for a guy that's that good at shooting the ball. He has to do a better job of getting to the free throw line. And I thought in that late game sequence, that was a perfect opportunity to put the onus on the officials and that little itty bitty guy guarding him to either make a great play or foul him. I felt that he was going to get fouled if he would have tacked mm-hmm. the rim. That that's but again, Tatum is a great player. He's going to be even greater in time, but he has to do a better job of recognizing those moments and doing something other than selling for long-range jump shots. Yeah, I agree with that. And the, the thing with Tatum is, you know, look, first off, Brogdon is is a good defender. I know he's yeah. a little undersized guarding Jason Tatum, but it's not like he can't handle that. But Tatum's length and ability as you described like would help him in that situation he's just the, the thing he gets and a lot of guys get into this sort of rhythm when you, you sit out there and you dribble it out and there, you, you want all the eyes on you so to speak when if you get the offense moving a little bit and get some some ball movement going on a shot for you is going to be a little bit easier right so if you can find a way to get a, a screen and, and to attack downhill like you talked about Sherrod, that's, that's a good way to get Jason Tatum involved and get a foul but it's a much a much higher percentage shot like and I know Tatum can hit that sidestep three that's his shot and, and he's done it the past two years with regularity over a lot of guys guys like Anthony Davis Giannis twice in that first game of the season and the third quarter he hit it on him and the game winner he hit it on him this is not a shot that Jason Tatum can't hit but what he has to understand is even though you've hit a good amount of them that's still not a great shot if he just got three more dribbles in or two more dribbles in that's a much better shot I know the percentages will tell you that that's not a great shot the mid-range is not great well I'd rather have him take that shot contested than to take a contested like fadeaway three-pointer with the game in the line and I don't think there's anybody in America that's going to disagree with me on that. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, here's another thing that ticked me off. I feel like we're having kind of a uh, like a post-Christmas festivus with regard to this this moment and the way this game ended. Because, you know, on, on one end of the court, you had obviously prior, like, sort of back up. First, it's the Robert Williams deflection, Marcus Smart steal, scoop, you know, they reverse layup, but they take a lead after, you know, what was a fairly miraculous comeback considering how bad they were in that third quarter. So great. At that point in time, you need a solid, strong defensive stand. There's a miscommunication or a a lack of movement. You know, Robert Williams ends up owning it when in reality it was more Grant Williams mistake. Sabonis coasts in for the easy lay. And we don't typically spend this much time on one game, but obviously we're between Indiana games right now. And I'm, I'm a little irritated about this that happens. And then, you come back the other way and Tatum takes the shot that we just talked about. And there's, there's pretty much no way to win this argument against people that, that will so willingly turn it against you because my first thought, and I was tweeting about this after the fact was there's just, there's no way that either of those things, and this is before the player spoke, there's no way either of those things is what Brad Stevens drew up. And sure enough, you know, defensively you have the players come out and say, all right, we made mistakes like that, that, you know, didn't go as planned. And then Tatum comes out and says, that isn't exactly what we drew up. And, you know, even before he came out and said that the reaction to the tweet is, well, so that's, that's, this is Brad's fault. I mean, why is Brad drawing up that play? Well, Brad probably didn't draw up that play. So Tatum's ignoring his coach now. Like there's, it's, there's, there's no way to sort of bring people in. I feel like it's so it's such a defeatist default mentality to pin things on the coach when something on the court in a, in a singular moment doesn't go right. But should Brad get more heat, not for that 
specific moment necessarily, but in general, when, when things don't go right, are we too light on Brad? Well, I, I think in many instances we are. But the one, here's the thing about Brad Stevens that I, I think it's both the blessing and the burden that he has as a coach. When he draws up plays, he creates multiple scenarios and options to deviate out of those plays. And for a lot of coaches, that's not how it goes. We're going to run this play. This is your number one option. This is what you're going to do. Whereas Brad gives them more fluidity, more flexibility. And players, I think, for the most part, that's a good thing for them. That really is. But in late game situations, it seems that the Celtics, I think, is part of it is just because they're still learning how to win big time games. Like Robert Williams had, to me, that defensive breakdown was his entire Celtics career in a nutshell. If you look <laughs> at the great play that he made defensively that got him the lead, that's the potential that Robert Williams has. And you look at the mental break, the, the mental collapse where, you know, rather than having switching everything and that's that point in the game, which you should do at that point, because Indiana doesn't have guys where if you switch out and all of a sudden, oh, my God, we can't stop him. You can switch everything and be OK defensively. But rather than do that, Robert tried to stay with Sabonis, which led to the layup. That's Robert Williams. Love him to death, but he's going to break my heart. He is going to at some point treat me like he's going to Lucy me as I'm trying to kick that damn football. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wind up on my backside at some point. He's going to Lucy you every single time. And I hate that about it. At the same time, I love the fact that he's got so much ridiculous talent. And I, I can't put that on Brad because then you want Brad to be less than who Brad is. Because all of a sudden, if Brad starts just laying down a hammer that, you know, look, Last five seconds, this is the play we're going to run. You're going to run this play. Guys are going to look at him like, what the F is up with Brad? That's not mm. how we do things around here. So to me, in those moments where Tatum deviates and where, you know, Robert Williams deviates, Brad obviously has some responsibility for that, but he is not in that boat alone. I mean, everyone is going to slice of that blame pie, and Brad is, is, is part of that. But by no means should he be the one that's, you know, frankly, bringing that pie to the table and giving off a little sliver for Rob, a little sliver for Tatum, and he's going to eat the rest of that. Hell no, it should, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You win as a team, he loses his team. And you can, you can do this one play here, this one play there. But the one thing we haven't talked about really at all yet in terms of this Celtics team is they're just not up to snuff defensively right now. I mean, they're really right. not. They're, de- they're ranked as like the dead last team in the NBA in terms of defense, be. in terms of points per possession. And, I, I, again, that's I don't care. We can break down a single play or not. They're just not good enough in the defensive end right now. And, it's just, and that's surprising given Brad Stevens' teams throughout his tenure in Boston. And if you go back to Butler, like those are all scrappy defensive teams that grind every possession. And right now uh, it seems to be a communication issue, right? And that, that let's give them a little break. Like this is a weird off season, right? You know, didn't really have a training camp. You're incorporating new pieces. You got guys that are hurt. I mean, you have Tristan Thompson who looks like the most perfect fit for Brad Stevens system ever. He's on a minutes restriction. You have Peyton Pritchard, who's playing a lot, which is great for a rookie, but you know, is new to the system. Grant Williams still trying to figure out because he has so many um, responsibilities as a defender, the way he switches, you know, he gets a little lost sometimes. Again, love Rob Williams, all the talent in the world, but just has to get repetitions. Uh, you know, the, and just a lot of little things that usually are up to snuff the first, you know, month of the season are just aren't there yet because this team hasn't enough time to gel together in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that lack of, of, 
training camp, I think is so huge. I mean, that's that's why you have a lot of these defensive breakdowns. That's why you have teams like the Clippers going out, getting smashed by 50 points. Uh, can yeah, I just yeah. put in my Kawhi Leonard for MVP vote right now? Because his absence from that game led to a 50-point loss. He has to be the best player to ever play in the <laughs> NBA if that's the result when he's not around. You win a title in Toronto, your team loses by 50 when you don't play. MVP to me. But that's another story. I just well, Kawhi I, was on the team that threw, blew a three-one lead. Just gonna also throw that at you. So who coached that team again? Oh yeah, the oh, guy man. who's blown more three-one leads than anyone in NBA history. But that's another story. <laughs> Sharon, you've come to the right place. <laughs> that's all. That's all I have to say about that. You you've come to the right place. No one. I'm not sure there's anyone at, at least who is a Celtics, you know, fan follower and and who resides in Boston who who is willing to admit, and uh, and not just admit, but declare, shout from the mountains, that Doc Rivers is a grossly overrated head coach than me. <laughs> I, now, I Doc to, I said it to our is guys a great time. regular season coach. Great regular season coach. A great motivator. But, you know, he does not deal with prosperity well when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, and and that that to me that that's if you want to you know look at the you know the things on his checklist that you cannot check off, handling prosperity is one of them. Uh, I hope he does what better in Philly. I my I have a gut feeling that it's not going to work there, uh, particularly when your best player can't shoot better from three point range than me, which is sad. Is a sad, sad, sad because I suck as a three point shooter. No, I've seen uh, you in the media games. You're pretty good. I'll take it. I'll at least take it, which is more than I can say for his best player. But that's, again, I want to keep the focus on the green team and not the teams that the green team are going to beat in the playoffs. Yeah, it's just yep, there's – said it. I, I feel like this is a whole other conversation, but I, while we're on it for half a second, I, I just feel like the people fail to admit there is a difference between being an elite leader of men, which Doc Rivers is and has always been, and, and they don't win the Celtics back in 08 without him because someone had to manage those egos, and he did it beautifully. But that in and of itself does not make you a great head coach, which I'm sorry, he's not. He's a good, average, slightly above average head coach. He I say he's above average. I, I give him above average because he does enough to where the average coach can't win as many games as he does year in, year out. The average coach can't get his team into the plus and in position to have the kind of success that he tends to squander. Uh, that to me is above average. But to your point, that next level from above average being great, probably not there although hell he's top 10 all-time wins that's you hang around long enough right you get it listen if you get enough cracks at it at some point you're gonna send it over the yard yeah no it's a look you're gonna send it out you're gonna send a yard so he'll wind up in the hall of fame we'll have to do all this again it'll be uh it'll be great <laughs> can't wait it's, i love doc yeah well, he's doc. a great guy and I that's that's him. part of it too is that you know the these these guys who you know head coaches regardless of the sport who who are you know media darlings are incredibly charming and you know have like who are basically the antithesis of what Bill Belichick is you know to the media in an outward sense and press conferences and everything else and you know obviously are are incredibly gracious with their time and charitable and and Belichick is incredibly charitable by the way but you know just focusing in on Doc and and others like Doc it you know that it it earns your points it earns your points and it gets you elevated in the conversation professionally i could be a phenomenal guy it doesn't mean i'm a good podcast host like the, 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 these are different things you know what i mean all right on to the next one
And he could get away with that for two decades because they were winning and he had Adam, time. you were really fired up about Doc, Doc Rivers, man. I got to tell you, I think you spent a little too much energy on this. I, I really am. I, here, I want to spend energy on, uh, on, on this because I've been thinking a lot about this based on some of the comments and Instagram posts and deleted Instagram posts. And, and this is not me throwing crap against a wall. It's not me trying to start something. It's just me simply being curious. You have been around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown a lot in their formative NBA years. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what their relationship is like on a personal level. They say and do all the right things. And I'm not, you know, insinuating all these guys behind the scenes. They don't get along. Nothing like that. I'm just worrying, uh, uh, not worrying, wondering exactly how close are they in your estimation? I think they're, they're, they're fairly close. I mean, the pandemic has, has created a little distance with, with all of us, obviously. Yeah. But I, I think that they have an understanding among each other that they work best when they can work together. And I, I think Jalen has embraced the fact that, yeah, Taylor's going to get all that shine and all that love. But guess what? I'm still going to drop 20. I'm still going to defend my ass off. And I'm still going to bring home a nine-figure check from the Boston Celtics. So I'm paid like a great player. I play like a great player. It's just a matter of, of folks acknowledging me for my talent on the floor at a, at a high level. Whereas Tatum, you know, he's kind of like most of the, the, the young rising superstars, you know, he kind of came up through the AAU circuit, did a semester or two in college, became a high lottery pick. And now, you know, he's the man, he's the face of the franchise. And when you're the face of the franchise, there's a lot of ups and downs that come with that. And I think we're seeing kind of the, the ebb and flow of that right now with Jason Tatum, the, the highs of knocking down a bank three-point shot over the two-time MVP and the lows of just milking the damn shot clock down on the road against a below uh, average Indiana Pacers team and missing a potential game winner. You know, when we think about the, the young, great players, we forget that the Michael Jordans of the world needed six, seven years before they could actually win a championship. LeBron James, six or seven years before he could Jordan, actually Jordan also win. needed Pippen. Right, you, exactly. And that's where Jalen comes into play. To me, I think that's the, the issue in question I think a lot of people need to start thinking about and asking. Is he that Scottie Pippen type player? A guy that can be an elite player, recognized by others as an elite player, but embrace the fact that as good as your ceiling may continue to be and rise to, that guy is always going to be seen as being better than you. Do you have the mental, I think, strength to handle that and deal with that? I think Jalen does because I think there's a part of Jalen that says, you know what, I can still drop 30 points pretty much any day and it not be a shot, just like Pippen could. And when it happens, it reminds you that, yeah, he may be not, as, he may not be on the same level as Jalen, but he's pretty damn close. Well, and there are character differences too, it, like yeah. substantial ones. And this is this is no knock on anyone, like in in this regard. Like Tatum, you know, I, I I'm not going to pretend to know either of them on a personal level well at all, but just based on what you hear, you read, you see, guys like you have written, you know, it, Tatum wants to, you know, he wants to be Kobe. He wants to be one of the best NBA players in history. Jalen Brown has never talked about or fixated on like he's out to change the world. <laughs> like yeah. that's, you know, right. I I don't even think. And again, not a criticism because he is he is a developing, rapidly ascending, potential perennial all-star young basketball player who, again, is improving every year. So I think Jalen is great, and I'm incredibly happy with where he is at in his career. So and I don't that's feel like why they work. much time doing other things. But he right. is, like, I don't think basketball is even his top priority, you know. Right. So 
if these guys are to be, you know, not, I'm not saying they're Pippen and Jordan, but if if Brown is Pippen to Tatum's Jordan, to look at it that way, how does internal competitiveness fuel their dynamic? Because as you said, you know, they work best when they work together. Are they always in line or in a given night is someone trying to, you know, it, just natural competitiveness. This uh, again, not saying one guy's got an issue with the other, just natural competitiveness on the court. Is one guy ever trying to steal the shine? Oh God. Yes. That, that, that and, and that, that doesn't make them special or unique. You know, when I, when I was in Detroit, uh, years ago and and you had rip hamilton and chauncey bills both were all-stars in their own right both did a lot of really great things there were nights when you could tell that you know chauncey was kind of he see wide open and he take a shot and other nights where he kicked the rip and rip would see chauncey wide open behind a three-point line look him off and take a shot it happens uh but to me the only way it becomes a problem is when you let that competitive not necessarily get in the way of decision making but become an issue you can't move past. Like if that happens in a game or two and you guys have beef that lasts three, four, five, six games on a row, that's a problem. But when it happens every now and then, it's part of, to me, it's part of the business of being an elite player and being on a really good team. I would be more concerned if there wasn't this closeness between them in terms of talent, yet you still had guys who were doing it. I mean, you know, not, not, to, not to pick on anyone, but if let's say, you know, let me just say Tremont Waters, for example. Let's say if he were playing more and he'd have a, two or three games where he's in there and he's looking at, at Tatum and he decides to do his own thing. That's a problem because no disrespect to his game, but where you're at and where Tatum at are not really that close. Whereas Jalen and Jason. So are? why hasn't somebody put Marcus Smart in his place yet? You know what? <laughs> Hard to do that. I will not, I will not accept Marcus Smart. Slander. Slander. Yeah, Adam, you want to tell him? You want to tell Smart. him to his face there, Adam? You want to see how that goes for you? <laughs> I will not. <laughs> I don't have the balls to do that. Marcus Smart slander. No, I will take those 27% shooting for three point range as long as I get that elite defense and an occasional three in the fourth quarter. No, I I love the man and and you know I'm stepping on. Do I cringe when he fun. shoots? Hell yeah. It's like everyone is I cringe too. I do. No, honestly, I love that dude, man. Honestly, I I don't. I mean, I don't buy into the I'm a great shooter when I take great shots. I do think I love that I, comment. I, I, I do think he's a I do think he's a good shooter. In fact, I think he's an above average shooter. But I oh I don't. And I have I have been you know <laughs> trumpeting his potential from three, comparing him to the likes of you know growth wise to the likes of like where Kyle Lowry started to where he's at now. Like I think Smart in a in a certain universe actually has a relatively high ceiling. Not with Tatum and Brown. But you know, maybe later in his career, depending on how things play out. But that believe I was going to say, I is love- that Kyrie Land you're talking about? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, oh, okay. it's 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 the flatter. I okay. love I love Marcus Smart. But to uh, to further praise Marcus Smart, what he's doing on the floor this year in very brief, you know, short sample size, a few games. But I'm loving his shot selection. I have no. I mean, he's not going out jacking up threes left and right like he was doing in the playoffs and you know save them from time to time quite frankly in the postseason but also cost them at moments too I I really like what he's doing offensively right now I I it's it's hard for me to be hard on Marcus Smart because he plays so hard and he does so many of the things that I'm convinced 
if you're putting together a team that's going to compete for a championship and legitimately compete, you need a guy like Marcus Smart. To me, he, he is this team's James Posey. Uh, he, he's he's that guy that does a lot of dirty work that when you start going down a pecking order of who your best players are, he's probably not going to be the first, second, or third guy that comes to mind. But then when the conversation shifts to, okay, how are we going to win a playoff series? How are we going to advance? And you start saying, well, who are the key, who are the key guys He's usually the first or second guy that is mentioned in those type of conversations. And there's value in what he does. Is his three-point shooting mind-blowing and frustrating at times? Hell yeah. But I know what I'm getting with him, and I'm getting everything he has. I, I never feel as though when, when the final horn sounds, Marcus Smart held something back. I always feel that everything he had to give me, he gave out there. And typically, it's enough to, at a minimum, at a minimum, allow you to compete in that particular game and in a particular series. Uh, so again, he's, he's, he is a flawed player. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's easy, easy to see, but the intangibles that he brings to the table, the energy, the effort, the leadership, all those things, I'm buying that every time because I've seen in Boston, I saw when I was in Detroit, you need to have one or two guys that have those type of skills that they can bring to the table. And Marcus Smart has that. And then some. Evan, you're next, but first let me tell everyone, uh, Hey, Football season, it's winding down, be it college or professional. The college football season, of course, heading into the bowl season. There are some big matchups this weekend. NFL regular season finishing up. There's a game tonight getting ready to uh, get going as we speak. The Patriots and Bills week 16 and then a week 17 ahead of us in the playoff picture becoming clearer by the day. There is only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust here at CLNS. It is BetOnline.com. Dot ag sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag use that promo code clns50 for your 50 percent welcome bonus some of the top games for week 17 believe it or not the nfc least is still relevant the cowboys two and a half point favorites at the giants huge game to potentially decide that division if in fact the washington football team does not go out and win right now wft and alex smith and company has that game in its hands thing is that has been flexed to the evening so the cowboys and giants just mentality are gonna have to be playing for the division and see if that's stripped away steelers at the browns six and a half for uh cleveland favored in that game the steelers slide is is just it's they're paper champs folks. cleveland's around yeah yeah <laughs> pittsburgh paper champs you can't take them seriously if you ever did the Titans seven and a half point favorites at uh the houston texans afc south is still up for grabs in terms of the nba you got the lakers plus 225 to win a championship the nets it appalls me plus 425 the clippers at plus 600 so were the bucks by the way the celtics plus 2000 so uh go ahead <laughs> get get that money down now while the time is good don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code is clns50 to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts all right evan what's on your mind well i want to go back to tatum and brown because i okay. think we got off of that too quick because the thing with tatum and brown for me and look they definitely fuel each other in terms of a competitive thing. And that's, and that's a great thing. You want your two best players to push each other to be better. That's amazing. And when you have guys like Tatum and Brown, who are both very good in their own right, solo, but you got two guys battling, trying to push each other to get better. That's going to only result in good things, right? So uh, that's, I'm thrilled that these two guys are teammates. I disagree that Jalen doesn't want to be great. I think Jalen understands uh, that he wants to be great, needs to be great. And if he can parlay that, into his social activism, which I love, 
you can do that uh, in a more impactful way, the better he is at basketball. It's just like if LeBron James wants to do something in terms of social awareness, if he does it, everybody listens. And I think Jalen would love to get there at some point, but that's just, that's a different point. The one thing I want to talk about though, with these two just to, just is just to clarify. I'll let, I'll let you keep going. Just to clarify though. Um, my belief is that I, I think I'm glad you brought up LeBron because I think they're opposites in this way. I think LeBron, I think they care about a lot of the same things, but I think LeBron's priority first and foremost is basketball and he can use basketball to do the other things. I think the other things are, are Brown's priority. He wants to be great. Who doesn't want to be great? But I think he cares more about the other things, which again, right, not a criticism. He's out trying to change the world. But I think Jalen's not, Jalen's not selling shoes like LeBron. Like that's just that's LeBron has a, a different brand. But I think yeah. if Jalen were Jalen, if were to get to the talent of LeBron, he would use his brand very differently. Anyway, I want to get I want to get back to because the one thing I think is interesting with these two is this is the first season we have where. They are without question one and two, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of pecking order. Yep. They've been there before, but it was on accident, right? So you've had yep. seasons where guys have been hurt, no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward. Uh Kyrie comes back the next year, but is a space cadet and they lose. You have last year in the bubble playoffs where Tatum's clearly the one, but then the number two could be Kemba if he's healthy, but then there's Gordon, and then there this is the first year where these two guys are the clear number one, number two pecking order options, right? And so that takes some time to get used to. And the one thing that I'm looking for over the span of this season, and it doesn't have to be right away, but I think it has to happen. It has to come from Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has to learn how to defer to Jalen Brown because he he's going to need Jalen to really get to where this team needs to go. Like, again, we talked about that last play with eight seconds left. There's no ball, boot, nothing. At some point in the regular season, Jalen is going to need to take a shot like that. I would like for him to take a shot like that. But the game, the line, and we've seen it a couple of times. The one in Utah stands out the most where, you know, he takes that three a couple of years ago at the buzzer and, and hits it uh, in Utah and everybody goes crazy. And Jason Tatum's tackling him at half court, right? We all remember that game. I need more of stuff like that from Jalen because Jalen has improved an incredible amount from start to now. And this year you're starting to see some of the the passing come into play. He's clearly mm-hmm. making a better effort, trying to get his teammates involved. And if you're starting to get a more confident Jalen Brown, who's more willing and more confident to take the game over when he when somebody else needs to, because Tatum's not gonna be able to do this by himself. If you if if Tatum's gonna try and win games by himself against teams like Brooklyn, you're gonna see what we saw on Christmas Day. It's just not gonna go well because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are better than him right now. It's just how it is. But Brown if he, if you have that that sidekick, that Robin, so to speak, your life becomes a lot easier. So if I'm Jason Tatum, and again, this is something to look for about the rest of the season, I want Jason Tatum to defer to Jalen Brown and say, you know what, let's see if we can get him going, get something going at the end of the game, and see if he can get he can take us home. Because I'm not gonna be able to do it all the time. And not, again, not everybody's Michael Jordan can just take us home all the time. Not everybody can be Bill Russell and, and close everybody out whenever you need to, although he had help from Casey Jones, right? right. We talked about some of the some of the old stories with Casey Jones and it was San Francisco where Bill Russell would be, you know, totally shot and Casey would bring him to victory, right? So they need each other. They know they need each other to be successful. The thing I need to see on the floor is Tatum willingly accepting the fact that he needs Jalen at the end of games to be super clutch. He needs to be engaged 
on both ends. And to do that, sometimes giving him the ball at the end of the game is, is, is a better option. As I listen to you, Evan, I, and I think about Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, and, and Tommy would often talk about has, teams. Has anyone ever being, said something that nice to you, by the way? No, never. Not even <laughs> my own parents. You're welcome. I think about Tommy when he talks about teams in front of standpoint of being a house and how you've got to have this foundation and you got to lay the concrete. And the, the one thing I, and, and again, this is just, just my knowledge of a house building, which is not that extensive, but extensive enough where this analogy is going to make sense. When you lay the concrete, it has to settle. And that takes time. When you're talking about Jalen and Jason in these new roles at the beginning of the season, not kind of a serendipity one, two, but this is actually playing. This is how the season is going is beginning them as the number one and number two. It's going to take time for them to settle into those roles and be efficient, be reliable, be consistent, be that foundation that this organization needs going forward. And I think with, with that time, you're going to have some bumps along the way. And I think the point that you make Evan about Tatum having to defer from time to time, I think more to the point, Jalen has to be more demanding. Jalen knows that as the number two, he can pretty much get 25, 30 points a night and not ever have to demand the ball. But in those late game situations, I want him to, to go Keyshawn Johnson and ask, give me the damn ball. And I want to see how Tatum responds to that. I think that is when you'll start seeing a little bit of that. Okay, you got it. Because everyone is looking at me. And if I give it to him with an opportunity to put the game away, it's going to help his confidence. It's going to help them loosen things up for me so that when those opportunities come down the road, they're not going to know exactly who to hedge on. Is Tatum going to kick it to Brown? Then I got to worry about Brown. Is Tatum going to take it himself? I got to worry about him doing that. What am I going to do defensively at that at, in that point in the game? I think it creates a lot. The, to me, it, it creates the uh, the happy, happy, joy, joy confusion that you want if you're if you're Brad Stevens in the Boston Celtics, and it takes it. Frankly, it, it makes your two best players even better. So I, I I understand what you're saying about Tatum needing to really get Brown in position to knock those type of shots down and put teams away. I think Jalen conversely has to be more vocal about wanting that opportunity because he has that skill set in him. I know that, you know that we all know that, but he's got to be smart about when to demand that opportunity for himself and when to just continue to be, you know, to be, to be that guy in the corner or that guy in the wing that if Tatum thinks the defense is playing him a little too touchy feely, kick it to him for the game winner. So one thing Evan brought up before too, you, I mean, we've all talked about it is, is the fact that this is, you know, year one of it being Tatum and Brown's team. The mm-hmm. problem with that, if there is one in the absence of Kemba Walker is that if you're looking at it like an alphabet, you got, uh, you know, Tatum is a Jalen is B and then the alphabet picks up somewhere around like M or Q <laughs> like there's there's no middle tier I mean Tatum's getting 26 points a game Brown's getting 25 a game and then after that no one else is even at 10 and it's a lot of balance don't get me wrong but there are holes obviously in this offense which is why along with the defense it's two-sided third quarters fourth quarters like in the bubble last year like some of these either late collapses or middle of the game ruts 
become more prevalent because there isn't that person. Now, Jeff Teague certainly was that guy opening night and the last couple of games has not been, he was, it was, you know, terrible. That second game, third game, you know, couldn't really hit a shot from the field, but he was going to the line like crazy and at least was cashing in some points there Pritchard. And you can't ask anything of this guy. He didn't have summer league. He didn't have a real training camp. Like he has just been thrust into the scene. And actually I think he's played really well. Smart is uh, you know, you're, you're going to get what you're going to get from him offensively, but, Again, absent Kemba Walker, there are some real hurdles this team is going to have to overcome to go out and, and take some games unless the defense totally flips the script. Either, either you're going to command the game defensively or you're going to have to outlast teams. And right now they don't have the manpower offensively to outlast teams. Yeah, and their, their defense is, you know, and never brought this up earlier, their defense is really problematic. Uh, it's the reason why they are going to continue to struggle until they get it fixed. Because we saw this team, when their defense isn't right, they're not right. They're not very good. Uh, and, and some of the points that you brought up, Adam, I mean, you're right. They don't have three guys right now that you can look at and say, he can go give me 20 points. They've got two. They've got two. And remember last year, they had four. Had four, yeah. But And again, they had four, and they still didn't win the damn division. So if you if you cut that in half, just you know, I wasn't a math major, but I do know that if you struggle (laughs) with four elite scores and you lose two, you're probably going to struggle even more so when it comes to scoring points. And we're seeing that Pritchard has been a godsend to them. I mean, he has literally been their best, most consistent scoring threat off the bench. And to ask a late first round pick to be that. That's just too much. You can't expect he's going to have a stretch where he's just not going to make any shots. And it, and it's inevitable because at some point he's going to come back to this round earth uh, from where he's at right now. And when it happens, it's not going to be pretty. And then you say, well, what are you going to do? Who's going to step up? Hopefully Teague will be, be doing something similar to what we saw in his last year in Atlanta. That's the Jeff Teague I would love to see because mm-hmm. that guy was an all-star. That guy was pretty damn good. Uh, this Jeff Teague, not as good. Marcus Smart, as you pointed out, Adam, he's going to do what Marcus Smart does. He's going to take some bad shots. He's going to make some big plays. Hustle plays defensively. Uh, he'll, he'll get at some point. He'll get in a screaming match. He'll pick up a couple texts here and there, and then the Celtics, you know, they'll pretty much be who they are. But that defense has to get better because uh, it's painful watching him now. It really is uh, watching guys. I mean, it, it looked like it's, it looks like almost at every position they're giving guys the easy pass lane to the basket or the easy pass lane to a wide open three. You can't do that uh, and expect to win in this league. If anyone's curious, you know, sample sizes being what they are, obviously, but Terry Rozier's getting 27 points a game and Gordon Hayward's at 23. I just felt like I'd mentioned that. I wasn't going to bring Terry up at all, even though not full disclosure, I've been thinking about him this entire time uh, <laughs> and, and proud to say that I called them beating Brooklyn before we knew who was going to play and who not was going to play. Um, because Terry Rozier. Yeah. I freaking love T. Rose. <laughs> love that dude. Love that dude. And I like Gordon. I, feel for him. I, yeah. love, I love I love Terry Rozier. I'm, I'm happy for him. I remember being uh, at the Garden. The, it was during the stretch where he started. It was the Atlanta game, and he went off for like 30 points. <laughs> and I was like, this is a hell of an experience right now. This is amazing. And after the game, he was, he was all smiles after, you know, Rozier has an amazing smile and he has a great presence about him when he's in a really great mood. And he was just, he was having fun that night. And he, you know, with Brad after the game, he had to talk about, Hey, you got to reel him in a little bit. He goes, 
we have to reel in Terry every day. So it's yeah. just nothing, nothing new. I love, I love, real. I love, I am thrilled. I'm thrilled for Terry. I really am. But the, yeah. defensively though, this team is, uh, it, is, it's interesting where they struggle because they have so many good wing defenders, um, but they've gotten burned by some, some pretty good wing play so far earlier in the year. Now it's, you know, Durant and Giannis and those two guys are like not even really wings. They're just unicorn guys who just happen to be, you know, categorized as wings, but it's mm. this team need, and look again, it's going to take time. We've, we've all talked about this. It's going to take time. Three games into the season. Everybody's panicking. Stop panicking. Everybody relax. Okay. This is the weirdest off season ever. This has never happened before. Some teams are going to be rusty. I mean, look, look at the undefeated teams in the NBA right now. It's it, uh, it, Oklahoma Atlanta, City, Atlanta, uh, Cleveland. Is, yeah. Right. Let's Indiana. relax. For a minute. Right. <laughs> you know, the Knicks beat the Bucks yesterday. Okay, everybody, this is going to be a weird, you know, but Love it. give it Love time, it. give it time. 72 yeah. games, though, those teams have 10 fewer games to collapse. I love it. I, have, I absolutely well. love just the spontaneous combustion that you're seeing throughout the NBA where bad teams are finding ways to win early on. Uh, and I, I, I tweeted about this earlier uh, today. To just see, you know, basically, who do you think is is real among the teams that are undefeated? I didn't include Oklahoma City because they only played one game. Yeah. But when you look at Atlanta, you look at Cleveland, you look at Indiana, uh, the only team that I think can legitimately scare people a little bit if they get to the playoffs is Atlanta. And the reason why I say Atlanta is because I see them as a team that has a ceiling that is nowhere close to being met. Indiana, your best player, is kind of banged up. Mm. Sabonis. I think what we see now is pretty much the best it's going to get. I look at Turner, pretty much the best it's going to get. I think Brogdon has a little bit of growth, but but Atlanta scares me a little bit because I think that they have so much room to get better. And if they're starting to win now, they're going to start feeling as though we can do this all the time, guys. <laughs> and that to me is scary when bad teams or mediocre teams actually start feeling they're really better than they are and they've got the receipts, wins, to back it up. We had a long conversation about this last week, so we're not going to do it again, but you're here and you weren't <laughs> last week, so we want your thoughts. James Harden, fresh off his 80-point fantasy debut this season with uh, almost no one else out there because of the COVID issue for Houston. How's this going to play out? Rockets going to hang on to him? Is he getting traded? And if so, where is he getting traded? And should the Celtics be in the mix? I'm going to start at the back end and just say hell no. I think the Celtics need to stay clear of James Harden. Uh, when you look at just what he does in the playoffs and critical games going all the way back to Oklahoma City, he pulls the ultimate Casper the Friendly Ghost and just mm-hmm. disappears right before your eyes. Uh, I'm very hesitant to invest heavily in a guy who in the most critical moments has consistently shown he's not going to be there for me. So there's, there's that. Uh, how this is going to play out, I think he will be traded. I think they will find a team closer to the trade deadline that will put together a package to get him. Uh, I do not believe it'll be Brooklyn. I think I, I right now, I think it's going to be a team that, how can I put this? I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody like Chicago because Chicago has some interesting young pieces with some contracts. When you look, when you think about a guy like Levine, you think about, uh, you know, marketing, you know, the, the, the seven footer who can just shoot the lights out when he's healthy, which is another issue altogether. But you've got some guys that in theory can make you 
as competitive, if not more competitive. But obviously, James Harden, he's he's a phenom. He's some of the likes that we've never we have rarely seen before, and he will be a future Hall of Famer. But if you have to get rid of him, which is essentially what's happening now, you want to at least get guys who can play in your system and can and have certain elite level skills. And to add a seven footer who can shoot threes and a guy that can score like Zach Levine as part of that package and maybe get a pick or two in. That might be the best deal you can get if you're the Houston Rockets when essentially your hand is being forced to make a deal. So before we get out of here, Sherrod, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was going to go off on a, a hardened thing, but like I said, we did that last week. I, I don't <laughs> know about Evan. My thoughts on, on the matter haven't changed, which is. Well, I'll, I'll ask the follow-up question here. Where yeah. I had earlier, you know, I, I think Sherrod would, would be obviously a guy that's, that's, that's in agreement with this. My, my question was at what point from the new iteration of Jalen Brown, because it felt like to me, the only way to get James Harden really was to trade Jalen Brown. But mm-hmm. at what point is this version of Jalen Brown enough to say, nah, I'd rather ride it out with Jalen. And then Adam was like, we already hit that. <laughs> we don't even have to worry about that. So the, the, the idea would be if you started with Kemba, would it, would it attract you? If it was a Kemba based package to get Harden, and you could, and I don't think this is humanly possible. I don't think it's possible, but you never know. If right. it was a Kemba-based package instead of a Brown-based package, would you be more more enticed? I would have to think about that long and hard because I think Kemba is great for the locker room, great for the culture, can give you good scoring, and I think now would it would embrace that number three role with the Celtics. But damn. James Harden is a scary, scary player to defend. And I think Brad has shown the ability to mask bad defenders or guys who weren't elite defenders. I think about a guy like who's on the staff now, Evan Turner. He did not come to Boston as a very good defender. And yet you start looking at his time in Boston. I don't know whether he got better or whether Brad figured out some kind of way to make him look better, but he wasn't nearly as much of a defensive liability. I think he could do the same thing with an elite scorer like James Harden, who has shown the ability to be a willing passer. He gets you like seven, eight assists a game, and he's still going to get you 35 points. But he's such a ball-dominant player. Can Tatum make the adjustment to playing more off the ball? Can Jalen? I think Jalen Brown, it would be no problem for him. And that, and that's to me, is, is what you, you have to think about. Could you potentially get him – and keep Jalen and Jason. Well, that, oh I mean, that my! Is, that just becomes a you know. Obviously, our, our I don't think it's possible. But our, I don't I, think, I think it's you possible. have to frame it that way. Yeah, our yeah. conversation's all been rooted in in Brown. If if we're right. talking about Kemba, and I agree with what you just said, I don't think it's possible. But then it becomes a where do I sign? <laughs> and that's and that's not that's that's nothing against Kemba the guy or or what he's going to be more of, and and still maybe at an all star level, but a role player, obviously behind. Tatum and Brown it's it's for the reason that neither of you mentioned which is I am petrified of that knee as this contract yeah. rolls on yeah. I would get rid of Kemba in a heartbeat for James I drive him to Houston <laughs> just Damn. I, you know like because I take him to the airport no I mean, <laughs> no, we'll get to know each other we'll spend more time all the way that's to it. Houston because it's it and and it's strictly that is that's Danny Ainge getting rid of Isaiah Thomas the businessman mentality of you know look you're a you're a phenomenal dude we love you and 
and we're just really concerned about your injury history and and how this maps out over the next few years. That to me changes the entire conversation. It's not so yeah. much anti Harden as much as it's anti what you have to give up for Harden. And yeah. I don't believe a Kemba package is realistic. Um, you know, probably because Houston would feel the same way about that knee, quite frankly. But right. in uh, in the interest of time because I want to make sure we have a few minutes for this. Uh, people are long familiar with your work for the last several years with NBC Sports Boston. And prior to that, obviously covering the Pistons, you know, you were, you were on the scene involved covering the NBA, but uh, now, uh, and, and I'm sure there's, there's a whole lot of that part of your future as well, but in the here and now as part of the CLNS media network and this brand new A-list podcast, tell us about it. What do the people need to know since I know this thing is off the ground and underway? Yeah, yeah, we've had a couple episodes in now, and it's uh, hosted with myself and Kwani A. Lunas, who's with NBC10 Boston. And, I mean, really, our, our whole thing is about, you know, educating, engaging, and enlightening people on different conversations all around the game of basketball. We talk a lot about Celtics, obviously, uh, but we're going to be getting into NBA-related issues to some extent as well. And really, more than anything else, we just want to have fun. Uh, we'll, we'll play some games, you know, we, we've got some, you know, some different elements and segments that we're going to get into. Uh, and again, the big thing is just enjoying, uh, the game and, and not being so damn serious about things. And we are big on having discussions and not data point, uh, back and forth discourses, uh, cause points and stats are cool, but discussions is what this is really should be about. And so mm. it's, it's going to be a lot of fun and it, it has been fun so far. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing out the year strong and jumping into 2021 with even more fresh content on that. Any big shows to promote guests coming up, that sort of thing. Oh, just myself uh, as, as the host. That, that's, that's the big, that's the big show. And, and all our content will be obviously on all the different CLNS uh, media channels, as well as my website, ashrodblakely.com. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Nice. Well, welcome <laughs> to the family, man. It's good to have you. Good to be here. And, and, I'm, and I'm here with my, my new house family. This is That's even right. better. This is even better. Yeah. Well, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, for people keying in on the Celtics, you know, a lot can change in the blink uh, of an eye. And, and hopefully that happens inside 24 hours at this point as we record this, because the Celtics right back at it Tuesday night in Indiana, a back-to-back here with the one day in between, which is, of course, when we're taking advantage of this, 7 o'clock Eastern tip-off. And then the C's right back at it. It's a back-to-back, a true one. They are uh, at home Wednesday against the Grizzlies. Friday, the first of two in Detroit, uh, spanning the weekend to start off a, looks to be a four-game road trip. So uh, that'll take us right on through the new year. Look, nobody's panicking. Nobody's saying the Celtics are done. They're cooked. They suck or anything like that. Just obviously a kind of jumbled, auspicious start to the season that a lot of people kind of anticipated anyway. And that's where they're at. Fortunately, if there's, if if you want, if you want to be, uh, you know, feel optimistic and, and look at the bright side of things, Tatum is playing well. Brown is playing great. Pritchard is a nice surprise. Smart is playing Uh, you know, within himself and not chaotic. Thompson is healthy enough to be coming out of this minutes restriction pretty soon. There are good things happening concerning the Celtics. It's just one and two doesn't look so awesome. And the last time they were one and two, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, game seven, Cleveland Cavaliers. So so look, it's not so bad. They've been here before. They'll be fine. There you go. 
All right. Well, thanks everyone for hanging with us. Obviously, thanks uh, most especially to Sherrod jumping in with us and check out the A-List podcast, part of the CLNS family. Make sure you do it. Thanks as always to Evan, our producer, and uh, he'll return with us next week when we have the next show. This one's powered by betonline.ag. Make sure use that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. I am Adam and uh, thanks uh, all for joining us. Hopefully we're talking about a 500 or better Celtics team the next time we get together later on in the week. Then it might be time to panic. (laughs)